What's going on, guys? I'm Mike Gaston, and this is The Currency, The Currency Podcast. I'm glad to have you guys along. This is episode number 62. It is September 27th, 2020, and it's really great to have you guys along. I've got some folks in the chat. Uh, uh, Meme V says, enjoying the fall weather with the family as well. And uh, Doughboy Biscuit says, how's it going? It's going pretty good. I'm glad to be alive on this beautiful, beautiful Sunday. I was just saying before we opened up the show that uh, I'm recording this a little later than I usually do. Usually we do the live stream around three, four o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday. And right now it's just after eight o'clock. I started this off at 8 p.m. And the reason for that is because uh, it's such a beautiful day out. I could not, I could not just come to terms with the idea of staying indoors with artificial lights shining on me in front of a microphone and a, cam- and a camera. I do love you. I love you all. Uh, but today I had to enjoy this last great day of fall. Who knows? I might not get another chance to get that motorcycle out. So I took the opportunity while I could. Welcome, Pauline Weinberger's here. Uh, she says, hey, Mike. Um, she's just saying hello. Now, I've just noticed something about the way I've got this set up here. That is the comments showing up on the screen are showing up black. I'll have to fix that and I'll figure out how to do that just now. But um, yeah, hope you guys are doing great. I think that we may have more days uh, ahead that are great, but it's hard to say. And you kind of got to take these days when you can get them because who knows? There we go. I just fixed the type. So now we should be able to read people's comments as they come in. So it's the 27th of September. This is episode number 62 of The Currency. And we're going to be talking about the future of the mascot. You know, we've been watching some of these brands like Uncle Ben's Rice, Aunt Jemima, Lando Lakes, Cream of Wheat say, hey, we've got to come to terms with this mascot of ours. We don't feel good about it. We think it might be uh, hurtful. We think it might be insensitive, etc. And so we're going to get rid of our mascot. We're going to change our brand. And, you know, we've talked about this in in various episodes. You know, is this great? Are they handling it well? You know, where are the opportunities that they've done well with? Where are the the lost opportunities? I just did a video a few days back last week about uh, Uncle Ben. They came out with a revision to that brand, called it Ben's Original. And I think they lost an opportunity there. And so I want to talk about mascots in general. What is the future of mascots? We're seeing a bunch of mascots take a hit. And I am of the opinion that the mascot is going to go the way of the dodo. And that is saying that the mascot's going to go away. But I want to talk about why that is. I think a lot of people are saying, well, we're just going to get rid of the mascots that are offensive. And I I think we need to unpack that a little bit. Because the question in today's society is, well, what's offensive? How do we define what's offensive? But there's some things that are obvious. I mean, you're just mocking someone. That's offensive. You're stereotyping a group of people in the nation, in the society. It's easy to see how that could be offensive. But I want to talk a little bit about what's really offensive, because I think we've got a broader brush that we're painting with here. And I don't think people realize like where we're going. And I just think that the, the mascot is going to go the way of the dodo. I just think you're not going to see mascots. So we'll get to that. Before we do, I want to touch on a couple handful of news stories here. I I noticed Harley Davidson uh, this week announcing that they're pulling out of India. Now, that's news because India is the largest motorcycle market on the planet. And you'll notice a lot of American and Western brands trying to get into India 
you don't hear it so much in the news, but India is a huge untapped market for American brands, car automakers, motorcycle makers, uh, technology, and so on. And, uh, you know, you've got a massively populous, populous um, country and up-and-coming um, affluency. You have people that have money in India. A lot of people don't have money in India, but there's a lot of people with affluence and 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 spare money. So Harley-Davidson want to get in on that. I mean, they're a huge premium motorcycle brand and they made a go of it, but they've just announced that they've had to shut it down, that it's not working. And I think the reason that they're pulling is they're coming to terms with the fact that India really is a volume and margin market. This is not a premium market. This isn't a market where you're going to make your money on premium luxury brands. Uh, I'd be curious to know how brands like BMW and Mercedes do in India. But, you know, there are some motorcycle and scooter manufacturers that have come in and are doing okay. But the way that Harley-Davidson is structured, you know, the, the, the base model, the pricing, the margins, uh, the type of rider that, that, that is looking for a Harley-Davidson, there just weren't enough. I think they only sold like 1,200 or 1,700 bikes over the last while and they're like, look, we can't, we can't make this work. So they had manufacturing facilities uh, being set up. They had sales staff, et cetera. So they've just decided we've got to get out of the Indian market. Very interesting. I, here's the thing that I question with that is if I, if I picture, and I've never been to India, I've spent time in Africa, I've spent time in Europe, uh, I've spent a little bit of time in Mexico just across the border, nothing significant. But when I think of the streets of India, anything that I've seen in photographs, in movies, videos, etc., it's always crowded, noisy. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of, um, you know, it, it's not like driving on the Autobahn in Germany where everybody's staying in their lane, they're indicating nicely. It just seems like a bit of a hodgepodge. It's a free-for-all. It's like every man for himself. You get out there and you just have to make it work. You're beeping and you're jostling and... Uh, it just doesn't seem like the the road rules are as stringent in India as they are maybe in North America or in Europe. So when I think of that, I think of a giant Harley-Davidson motorcycle. And I'm thinking, how do you navigate a bike like that in a city in India? Now, riding the Indian countryside is probably a dream on a Harley, assuming the roads are good. I don't know. But I would think you'd want something a lot more nimble. I think you'd want something a lot lighter, something with a little bit more pep. Now, Harley-Davidson's are big beasts of a machine, but, you know, they're, they, for all that, they, they've got a lot of weight. Even if you've got a big engine, a lot of weight, they're not that nimble. They're not that quick on a straightaway. Uh, these are cruisers. You know, these are bikes that you want to kick back and hit the open road. These are not, uh, most of them, they have some more than just one or two models. Obviously, they've got some... Uh, bobber style and some cafe racer style stuff that they've come out recently. But um, I just don't know how Harley Davidson, even if the price point was right, I don't know how you get a Harley to work on the streets, the mean streets of India. And I don't really think they're mean. I'm just saying, goodness, they would be intimidating to me uh, just to ride my little triumph around. And I don't know how someone would imagine doing a Harley. Um, so let's move on to the next story here. I want to talk a little bit about Mark Cuban. I don't know if you guys saw this, but in the news, Mark Cuban has come out and said, hey, I think that uh, everybody should get $1,000 every other week. Every American household should get $1,000 every other week until this, uh, this economic pandemic situation is over. And his, his rationale is that 
a lot of people are getting hit hard by the pandemic, by the shutdowns in America. And that if you put $1,000 every other week in people's pockets and you require them to spend that money, they lose it if they don't use it. So you can't take that thousand bucks and save it. You can't invest it. You gotta, you gotta spend it. You gotta use it for consume for consumption. And the rationale being by doing this, you're helping people get by. They can buy groceries and food and clothing and so on. Uh, and you're also putting uh, some real energy and money into the American market. And uh, he's arguing that this should happen until this thing's over with. Now, there's a couple thoughts for me. One is I think it's a little bit political. Cuban's been pretty vociferous in his dislike of Trump. I almost feel like this is one of those things where you throw this out there hoping that you're forcing the, the uh, current administration to respond to it. But even if that's not the case, I can appreciate what Cuban's getting at. But here's what I think. Why not just open up the economy rather than put a country into more debt, rather than just give away free money because people are going to lose or have been losing their jobs? Why not just open up the economy? We're seeing that this virus is not as lethal as we thought. It's not as dangerous as we thought. We understand so much more about it. We understand that often if someone's dying, it's because of comorbidities. We understand the population that is really vulnerable, which is a small fraction of the workforce in America, why not just open it back up? Let people go back into restaurants. Let them go to sporting events. Let them go to their factory jobs. Let America get back to business. You don't need to give away money if you just open it back up. Now, of course, you can't just do that on a federal level. You know, each state has to make their determination, and this is kind of falling along political lines as to where people are falling on that. But I thought that was interesting that Cuban came out saying, Give everybody a thousand bucks every the week. Now, the thing that I was wondering is, is Mark going to fund this? Is Mark, I didn't see that in the article. I read it. I looked for it. But Cuban wasn't saying, and by the way, I'll cut the first uh, series of checks. <laughs> it's great. It's like when it's somebody else's money, this is what I think should happen. And you always do it with other people's money. OPM, OPP. So there's that. The other thing I thought I'd just touch on real quick, I noticed that uh, Berkeley, California came out with a ruling that uh, you, the, the first city to do this, that you may not sell uh, junk food, snacks and candy and so on at the checkout in uh, grocery stores. Now, the thing is, I think the grocery store has to be a certain size. Like I think it's 2,500 square feet or more. And uh, they have to have 25 square feet of healthy items within a three foot radius of the checkout. So what's going to happen is no more candy bars at the register. No more impulse. No more Slim Jims and candy bars and whatnot. You're only going to find apples and uh, dates and nuts and celery sticks because if you live in Berkeley, California, they know what's best for you. <laughs> it's very interesting. And I actually see, I mean, I'm joking a little bit, but I see this catching on. I do not see this as a fluke. I see what Berkeley doing is catching on. I don't like it. I don't like uh, a store being told what they can sell to who, when, where, why, and all that jazz. But I think that you're going to see people kind of take on this mentality. If we've taken on the same mentality with the, with the virus that, you know, hey, we have to work together to keep everybody healthy, then that rationale, that logic is going to flow into things like grocery stores and checkout counters and so on. And eventually you're going to find that uh, you're not going to be able to get the products that you want. Now, Maybe that means you're healthier. Maybe that means you're thinner and you live longer. Maybe that means your healthcare costs go down, have better quality of life. I mean, those things could all be true. Uh, but the question really is, who's deciding that? Does the government get to decide that? Does your municipality get to decide that? 
or do you get to decide that? And then lastly, for my friends that love electric cars, the EV crowd, I just want to throw out there that um, one of the competitors to Tesla, a company called, and I don't know how to pronounce their name, but it's X-P-E-N-G, so Zpeng, X-Peng, Zpeng, Zpeng, I don't know. But they're an electric car maker, they're a bit of a startup in China, and they just revealed on Saturday, yesterday, an electric flying car. It's a prototype, so it's not ready for, for sale, but they're kind of raising the bar a little bit, and they've got this electric flying car, and it looks like this giant drone uh, with, with the, that carries people. It's got like a handful of propellers on top and uh, this kind of glassed-in cabin that you would sit in and control it from, and you've got your propeller kind of array above you, and you can fly around. So very interesting. I'd be curious to see where this goes. In fact, I remember Casey Neistat actually taking part in some type of Google uh, promotion that they did a while back where they were um, prototyping and trying out. They created like a flying vehicle. And he went through a, a, day's, a day of training and they put him in this thing. And it, again, it was kind of like a drone that you could fly around. But uh, this Chinese company really pushing, um, really pushing the envelope here with... This prototype, and and what's going to happen, obviously, is, you know, they're they're going to put this out. There's a prototype. People are going to get excited. It's probably not going to be anything you could buy anytime soon, but at least they're pushing the envelope uh, with the idea. So that's kind of cool. So guys, let's shift gears a little bit here. That's a little bit in the news. Let's get into today's topic, which is the future of mascots. Have you guys been tracking with what's been going on in the branding world and the packaged goods, consumer goods world? I'm sure you have been. If you watch this channel at all, if you're watching the news, you've seen things like uh, companies like Cream of Wheat, and I say companies, but brands like Cream of Wheat, uh, brands like Aunt Jemima, uh, Pancakes, Pancake Syrup, uh, Uncle Ben's Rice, Eskimo Pie, and so on. They've all been getting the axe. These companies, these big corporations, Mars Corporation, Procter & Gamble, and so on, are backing up and saying, look, we've got these brands that have these mascots. And uh, these mascots are problematic, and we're rethinking the brands. It even happened with the um, the Washington Redskins, although Redskins, I, I guess they have a mascot. I mean, their, their logo, they've got, they, they had like kind of a, an Indian warrior on the logo, so that's kind of a mascot. But for those of you that are saying, well, what's a mascot? I mean, a mascot, I mean, think about if you go to a sporting event, usually the team has a mascot. It's some type of character. It's usually an animal or a person or a, a cartoon of sorts. You know, uh, maybe like for the Patriots, I, I don't watch football, but for the New England Patriots, I'm guessing it's some guy dressed up uh, as a Patriot, as a, as a Minuteman, you know, back in the 1700s, a revolutionary era. Uh, by the way, GFG says, poor Uncle Ben. Yeah, Uncle Ben lost his job. Um, <laughs> Uncle Ben lost his job. But a mascot is essentially this character that you have that kind of represents your brand. So if you think of Uncle Ben's rice, uh, Uncle Ben, there was this character, this, this black gentleman, Uncle Ben, and uh, different iterations, usually illustrated, kind of a nice looking guy, nice smile on his face. Uh, maybe a black jacket and a bow tie on. You couldn't tell, was he a waiter? Was he a maitre d'? Some people said he was a rice farmer. There are all kinds of different stories about Uncle Ben and who he was. Uh, but he was a mascot. Same for Aunt Jemima, Chef Boyardee. You got this Italian chef with a funny little hat on. That's a mascot. So often um, 
often brands have mascots. And these are these characters. Uh, just real quick here, Doughboy Biscuit says, I'm watching your show instead of watching my favorite football team play. Now, see that? I immediately feel a sense of pressure. If you're watching my show instead of watching your foot, who is your favorite football team, Doughboy? You have to tell us who your favorite football team. When I was a kid, I liked the San Diego Chargers, and I'll tell you why. I thought their colors were really cool, and I liked the lightning bolt. That was how I made my decision. I liked the light blue and yellow, the light blue and the yellow lightning bolt. I thought that was a great look, and um, that's how I made my decisions. I should have known that I was going to be in marketing and branding uh, way back then because that's how I made my decision for a football team. And I loved, as I, as I started actually watching some football, I started watching like Dan Fouts. Remember Dan Fouts? Dan Fouts, big beard and so on. Uh, he was like a mountain man. He's a quarterback. So uh, Zoltan's here. Zoltan says, sports are boring, too repetitive for me. Now, by the way, Zoltan, what are you doing awake at this hour? What time is it? What time is it in Eastern Europe? I mean, I can't imagine how late it is right there. Doughboy says he likes the New Orleans Saints. New Orleans Saints. Are they any good this year? I mean, are you giving them up because they're no good so you can watch me instead? Or are you really sacrificing here? I feel pressure, by the way. If you're watching this instead of your favorite football team, I feel like I've really got to deliver. I hope I've got it in me. I really do. Let's see. Zoltan says, I just got up. I don't know what time it is. 3.25 in the morning, I think. Oh, my goodness. Zoltan, you get the prize, my friend. You get the prize. Wow. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. I'm going to have to give George a hard time now. I'm going to say, hey, in Austria, I don't know where you were. Zoltan was awake. What's going on? Uh, but thank you. That, that means a lot. Um, GFG says, I gave up football way too much SJW stuff right now. Yeah, that's the tough thing, you know, and, and I touch on this, this theme from time to time. It's, it's like politics has just overwhelmed everything. It's become part of everything. Your favorite television show, your favorite movie franchise, your comics uh, book heroes and comic book stories, sports. It's like, uh, you know, my wife and I, we, you know, I, I took a motorcycle ride and she's been working really hard. We've got this puppy, which takes a lot of time. Uh, she's got a, her foot's a little injured, so she can't walk around a lot and she's been stuck at home. And when I got back from the motorcycle ride, I'm like, Hey, how long will it take you to get ready? Let's get out. Let me take you out. We'll grab a bite to eat and uh, go out for an ice cream or something. So, so we're standing in line, uh, to get ice cream and there's a bunch of people, multiple lines, bunch of people and the couple next to us just on and on and on about BLM. And it's like, and they were just, they were just upset. They're not against BLM. They're, I think they were for it, but they were just so upset about systematic injustice and white privilege and all this kind of stuff. And it was very awkward. First of all, I don't know if you've noticed the color of my skin, but I was like, okay. But the other thing that was tough was just like, you're in a line to get an ice cream with a friend surrounded by a bunch of other people that just want to get ice cream. And I, I'm not saying you're not allowed to talk about it. Talk about whatever you want to talk about, but it's just too bad. I mean, I wasn't offended by it, but it was just striking to me, like how overwhelming this is for people. And this was not this person. You can never judge a book by their cover. I don't presume anything about this young woman, but I will say she, you know, in, in this ice cream shop way out in the suburbs, and this is not near the city. And, um, cause we went for a nice ride up to the lake, et cetera. And, 
uh, we found we found a great place for calamari. By the way, we just discovered this little hole in the wall place. They, they, it was just fantastic. So anyway, dressed very nicely, designer purse, everything very tasteful. She, you know, every, like nice jewelry. The guy she was with, you know, expensive tattoos. I mean, these are not people that are struggling. And I, and, and I, but again, you can't judge a book by its cover. I don't know what they've been through. They don't know what I've been through. Who cares? But you're sitting there to get an ice cream cone on a beautiful Sunday evening. And like, and in the line took a long time, you know, 15, 20 minutes of just nonstop about um, uh, injustice. And I'm thinking, and it's really, a, it was a political discussion. And I'm just thinking to myself, you know, politics, and to your point, uh, GFG, you know, politics has kind of spread out to every element of human existence, every element of human life. And I don't think it was meant to be that way. And um, I think that's because we have lost some of the other institutions that we used to rely on, the institutions that would mediate and facilitate our society in the way that we live. And um, so now we're kind of left with just raw political power and that's what we all focus on. It's what it's. It seems to be our new, our new religion, our new sport, our new entertainment, our new consumption. It's just politics twenty four seven, which is too bad because sometimes if you just look around you, no matter what your circumstances, you can have tough circumstances. You can have a lot of unfair things, unjust things happen. You can have sickness and health issues and just heartbreaks, tragedies, etc. But if you take a moment, sometimes just in a moment, just in the moment. And look around and just say, wow, you know what? Um, beautiful day. The sky is blue. The air is fresh. And I'm alive. Sometimes that's enough. But um, yeah, so that's that. Let's, uh, I'll keep going here. Let me just catch up on a couple of these comments. Uh, GFG says, yep, when religion dwindles, politics takes over. Yeah, that's, that's part of it. I think definitely part of it. Doughboy says, well, they lost to the Jaguars last week. So and, and he's so that's why he's not um, that's why he's not so interested in watching. GFG, Calamari, number one. Yeah, Calamari's great. Go out for a little calamari. And then Doughboy says, oops, I'm at the Jaguars, not the Raiders. So let's now here's Zoltan taking a pot shot. Not at me though. Uh, religion is the ultimate conspiracy theory. I would not agree with that, but you know that about me already. So I'm not gonna argue it too much. Uh, and then Doughboy says, yeah, I don't watch football that much, especially since politics got a firm grip on the NFL. Yeah, that's the thing. All right. Lastly, uh, let's just read this. This is funny. GFG says atheism is for people who hate pizza. <laughs> I don't understand. I don't understand that comment. Is that is that kind of like uh, Martin Luther, the great reformer, said, we know God loves us because he gave us beer? Is that like we know God loves us because he gives us pizza? I don't know. So let's talk. <laughs> oh, my gosh. How did we get here? The folks listening to the live, the, the broadcast later are like, okay, this is really circuitous. Get back on, get back on track. So where are we going with these... Where are we going with these mascots? And this does tie into the politics uh, overwhelming every aspect of life. Why do I say that? I think when you look at a mascot, it's one thing to say this is an offensive mascot. We can look at an Aunt Jemima and say, look, I get it. Now, there are certain people that have drawn a line, and it's like, I'm either going to reject everything or embrace everything. If my team 
says that it's good, then it's good. I don't care. I don't need to think about it because I'm playing a team sport. There are other people that give my team says it's bad. I don't want to think about it. It's just bad. I want to, I don't want to play the middle. I don't want to be this guy that's like, well, I like to be in the center. I'm not a centrist. I'm a conservative, but I want to use my brain. I want to think. And here's the thing. If you talk about, you talk about a mascot that really is based on a black mammy and you look at the old advertising and she's like, oh, sure enough, Aunt Jamama syrup, make you good and strong. Like if it's just, if it's a black mammy talking some type of ignorant, cotton-picking English, it's a caricature. And this isn't some black company, and that's the guy's grandmother. Come on. In the famous words of Joe Biden, come on, man. <laughs> now, I'm not trying to be... PC. I'm not trying to please anybody. I'm not running around yelling Black Lives Matter. I'm just saying, let's be honest with ourselves. There are some mascots out there that are rooted in something that we should not be proud of. Now, I understand like a lot of black people are like, hey, I like Aunt Jemima syrup. Don't take that black woman off the package. I like her. So I'm not, I'm not saying that we should erase or eliminate anything that could be offensive. But what I'm saying is I want to be intellectually honest here. I'm not going to just take a right-wing position. And not that all the right-wing people are doing this, but a right-wing position. Go, look, all mascots are great. Uncle Ben's great. Aunt Jemima's great. Cream of wheat is great. Don't touch any of them. On the other hand, I think, too, to just look at all these and say, well, they've, they're problematic. They have to go. I think that's worth questioning. I think that's worth questioning. And this is why I think that mascots do not have a future in our culture and in our marketing practices. Because how do you evaluate whether a mascot is acceptable or not? Well, right now, the yardstick, kind of the, the, the litmus test is, is it offensive or not? Is it offensive or not? Now, what is offense? What is it to be offended? How, how is one offended? I've had conversations with family members. Uh, I'm talking not spouse or children, although that happens too, but like I had a conversation with a sibling. I said things, uh, I said things with, with a lot of gusto. I was aggressive in, the, in my stance. I wasn't attacking the individual, but I was calling BS on something they were saying, and I thought I was doing it in good faith. I thought it was a good faith argument. That person, that sibling took offense to it. They were offended by it and, and just couldn't hear otherwise. And I was trying to tell them, no, 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 I didn't mean it that way. Wow, they just were offended. And so, so why am I saying this? I'm saying that you can't, we can't control how other people react to what we say and do. We can only control what we say and do. Now, in that instance, if I look back, I go, yeah, I guess I could have phrased it differently. I guess I could have been... But like, you're on a phone call. I can't see this person's face. I thought they're just in the thick of it like I am. I thought we we're having a great wrestling match over a topic. I didn't realize that I was hurting someone. So you get to this point where people are offended and it's like, well, what do you do? How do you go forward with a mascot knowing that someone could be offended? And so we live in a culture. There's a couple of things I want to touch on. I don't want to sound like some old guy going, get off my lawn, but we live in a culture but people are offended over everything. People are offended by your skin color now. 
not by your behavior, not by the substance of your character, not by the things that you say, not by the fruit of your life. They're offended by your skin color. They're offended by your income. They're offended by your education level. They're offended by your level of success or offended by your level of failure. However, whoever we're talking about here. People are just offended no matter what. People are going to be offended by this discussion. You know, I did a, I did a, um, I did a video just last week on Uncle Ben and how I think that the Mar Mars Corporation could have handled Uncle Ben essentially saying, if you don't tell your brand story, which they didn't tell a story about Uncle Ben, they didn't try that hard, then somebody else is going to tell it for you. And you're not going to like how they tell your story. If you let somebody else tell your story, they're going to tell it wrong. They're not going to tell it in a way that's flattering. They're not going to tell it in a way that's good for you. So you've got to take the ball and tell your own story. So I posted it to Facebook and you throw the video out there. Hey, everybody, look at this great video I made. It'll change your life. <laughs> and some kid from high school who's not a kid anymore, and she'll remain nameless, but this person I went to high school with, I haven't seen this person in 30 plus years. But like they, they, they jumped in the comments and were like, oh, you liberal, you, you should know your history. This is pathetic. Stop being a social justice warrior. Now, any of you guys on my live stream, any of you guys that listen to my podcast know I'm the last thing from a social justice warrior. I'm the last thing from a progressive. But, but, but she was offended. Oh, I just gave you a hint. Female. She was offended by the content I put in. I don't know why. I don't know what about it offended her. I can't help that. It's not my job to make sure that she's not offended. So I think brands going forward are going to say, look, we can't control how people react to our mascot. Or if they're considering a new brand, they're going to think, do we really want a mascot? Because I'm not sure how people are going to react to it. You look at Starbucks. Starbucks has a mascot. You don't really think of it as such, but in their logo, they had this mermaid slash siren, this female kind of fish thing with two tails coming up. That's their mascot. Now they're smart. They don't do much with the mascot. They don't use it. They don't splash it everywhere, but, but they have a mascot. Um, sports teams has a mascot. America has a mascot, the bald eagle. The bald eagle is our kind of mascot, if you will. If we're, the legend has it, if we're up to Ben Franklin, it would have been a turkey. Kind of glad it wasn't a turkey. Turkeys don't strike me. I mean, we have chickens. I've, we've got poultry on this, on Gaston Manor. They're, they're lovely creatures, uh, but not the most impressive. I'm not sure why Ben Franklin thought the turkey, unless he was trying to, unless he was like, unless he was trying to, I don't know if he was trolling us or something. Was, he, was, was Ben Franklin a troll? He probably was a troll. That guy was a character. Uh, but, you know, even countries have mascots. And I think going forward, you're going to see branding people shy away from mascots. Now, here's why people are so easily offended. And here's why we care. People used to be offended back in the day. And you just go, well, tough, tough beans. <laughs> get, get a thick skin and buck up. Um, you don't do that so much anymore. Why is that? I think a lot of that has to do with postmodernism. I think a lot of that has to do with this idea that we all create our own truth. There, there is no objective reality. There's no necessary truth. There's no objective, you know, good or evil. Like what I think is good is good for me, but it may not be good for you. What you think is good is good for you. What, you know, and this is just this 
world we live in. And, and that that's not very workable. And I think we're starting to bump into this. We're starting to see it more and more as this plays its way throughout our society. People saying, I'm self-identifying as a female. So you get an athlete, a teenager, born a male, teenage kid, decides he's a girl. Now he's in high school, but he wants to compete in sports, but he's not a guy anymore. He's decided he's a girl. Whether he's gone through reconstructive surgery, gender therapy, immaterial, he's identifying his truth is that he's a girl, that he is not a boy. He's decided that. Well, does this boy slash girl compete in female athletics? Does this boy slash girl use the girl's locker room? Does this, you know, like this becomes unworkable. It's one thing when you've got a fringe set of situations here or there, you bump up against them, you go, okay, these are just kind of fringe. We'll deal with them on a one-off basis. But when your society collectively agrees that there is no necessary truth, when there's nothing that is truly true, (laughs) then we're all allowed to define our own truth. And that creates a problem for marketers and branders and sports teams and anyone that wants to use a mascot or even have a message. Because what ends up happening is we all decide the truth of that mascot. Case in point, I'm doing, I actually recorded a video. I'm going to release this video on my other channel, my main channel in a few days here, but case in point back in, and this is, this is going to blow your mind and in whether you're religious or not. And by the way, while I've been talking back and forth, Zoltan and a couple others have been talking about atheism and pizza. There are so many comments in here. I can't even, um, uh, I can't even, I can't even keep up. Um, GFG, I, I mean, I shouldn't even try. He says, I, I don't know either. I was trying to slam Zoltan talking about pizza. He and G, GFG go back and forth. Uh, Zoltan says, uh, I don't think I'm an atheist, but I'm sure at this point that most religions are BS. And I love pizza. I believe in pizza, he says. <laughs> well, Zoltan, it's a start. If you can at least start believing in something, don't worry, we'll get you into the Orthodox Church in no time. <laughs> I'm not a member of the Orthodox Church. I'm just teasing you a little bit. Um, anyway, so they go back and forth. But what I want to get into here, th- the story that will illustrate the craziness of us creating our own truth and the inability, the unworkability, if that's even a word, of mascots and even brand marks going forward into the future. This is this postmodernism. So back in July, uh, a minister in the United Methodist Church, I forget the gentleman's name right now. He's the minister at a place called Trophy Case. I think it's Trophy Case, Texas. It's essentially one of these country club estate kind of places you live. I mean, all the houses, we're talking McMansions, they're huge. And this guy, a, a man of color, comes out and says, hey, I find our... Uh, our logo, like really troubling. United Methodist denomination, our logo, I find very troubling. And now if you see the logo, and make sure you watch this video, I'm going to post it on my main channel, like I said, in a few days, a couple days here. But the logo is a cross and a couple flames kind of uh, wrapping up around the cross. Very simple, very artistic, very plain kind of graphical logo. And And it very recognizable, communicates well. The idea behind the logo, the cross, this cross is the symbol. It's the main symbol 
of Christianity. You, you can't have Christianity without the cross. And the idea being the moment that Jesus, this perfect human being that was God become flesh, sacrificed himself on behalf of everybody. And Zoltan, I'm not preaching at you, brother. I'm just sharing. Just stick with me here. Hang in there. Trust me. I'm going somewhere with this. You can't have Christianity without the cross. Jesus wasn't just a nice guy. He wasn't just a prophet, all this kind of stuff. If you're a Christian, you understand that Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice to redeem all of mankind. The cross is a representation of the success of his mission. The moment that he died on that cross, he won. And that is the crux of Christianity, the crux, the cross. So that that part of the logo, it's essential to the faith. You can't have the faith without the cross. So from a branding perspective, you know, you're right on the money. You use a cross, you're right on the money. Now, these two kind of tongues of fire that come up, they have a double meaning. The United Methodist Church back in 1960, I don't know, 1968, 1965, I forget the year, they were the Methodist Church and they joined with a kind of a sister organization and became the United Methodist Church. This is like when the denominations came together, they renamed themselves. And so you have two tongues of fire to represent these two denominations that came together to become one. But there's something more important. That's kind of the tactical element. The strategic element of those tongues of fire are representative, representative of when the church, meaning Christianity, became a thing. And that is the day of Pentecost, when the disciples and the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit. In the Bible, it talks about they had little tongues of fire above their heads. So so this filling, like Christ dies, rises again, goes back to heaven, then sends the Holy Spirit to fill the disciples, and they become the church. This is the crux of the faith, okay? I'm going somewhere with this. Hang in there with me. So this guy writes a letter. He's a pastor in this denomination. And uh, I'll try to post a link to, to it in the description. But again, make sure you go to my other channel, subscribe, and check out this video. Fantastic. What, what, great work. I mean, I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek. I just knocked this video out. But I have to edit it and get it up soon. But in his letter, he says, look, I was 10 years old in the car with my parents in the South when I saw my first burning cross. And ever since then, that symbol, that imagery has been etched in my mind, burned in my mind, one could say. And I look at our logo and I find it hurtful. I find it troubling. I look at our logo and I see a burning cross of the KKK. Now, here's what's mind-blowing about this. And this is why I say we're really going forward like mascots. They're just not going to make it. They're going to go the way of the dodo. It's one thing to say someone from the outside that it doesn't have anything to do with the United Methodist Church. They don't know the history. They don't know Christianity. They don't know the doctrine, the tenets of the faith. They don't know why a cross or flames or any of that would be relevant. They wouldn't know any of that, okay? It's one thing for them to look at that and go, why do they have a burning cross? They have no context to interpret the logo. And so you go, yeah, that makes sense. That would seem a little weird. Why is there, what is that burning cross? What is that? Are these a bunch of KKK people? I mean, if anybody knows the United Methodists, they're the last thing that are KKK. They're so kind of liberal, social oriented. I mean, if you look at Christianity, they're on the left of the spectrum. It's very social gospel, very social gospel. They're out there feeding the poor and taking care of the, um, the uncared for, et cetera. So, I mean, this is not a group you're going to say, oh, these are a bunch of Southern crackers out there burning crosses. And so they made that their logo. 
But it'd be one thing if somebody came from the outside and, and just questioned that. That seems a little weird to me. Okay, all right. Here's what you got, though. You've got a minister of that denomination, a man running a church in a very affluent, very affluent part of Texas who knows the history, who should know the theology and doctrine. We should we, forget if he's a good minister or bad minister. Forget if he's good at his job, if the guy's a schmuck. He's been trained. He's had to go through seminaries. He's studying the Bible. This guy has to know the basics of the cross and the tongues of fire that represent the infilling of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. So if he's inside the church and he's allowing his own personal experience to define a 2,000-year-old faith, this imagery of the cross goes back centuries. How many millions and millions and millions of Christians have dedicated their life and followed after Jesus in his words where he says, pick up your cross and follow me. I mean, you can't get rid of the cross. I, I, so, so we've got centuries of human beings following, dying daily, picking up their figurative, proverbial, and sometimes literal cross, giving up their life for their faith. And this guy's saying, look, I saw burning crosses, which is a terrible thing. I'm not like, this is the thing. I'm not trying to make light of his experience as a child, but as an, an adult minister of the gospel, he should know what that symbol means. And he should be the one saying, look, this is tough for me, but I know that these symbols mean something greater. I'm not going to let some racist from my childhood define the symbols of our faith that have been uh, part of our faith for centuries and should be for centuries more. No, his call is we need to get rid of our logo. It's offensive to anybody who's a person of color. We need to get rid of it. Now, that's a long story, but I want to illustrate the, my bigger point with this story, which is if the very people who know better, who are responsible for teaching the truth behind a brand, let's just call it that, like let's use business terms. This guy is part of the company. He is responsible for promoting the values of the brand. He should know what makes the brand different. He should know why the images and symbols and messaging of that brand are what they are. And he should be one, one to say, look, part of our uh, message, part of our value proposition is that our brand and, and the person behind our brand will transform you. They will take all your bad experiences and turn them into good. They will take your sins and, and set you free and so on. You will be transformed and changed. That's what the Christian faith is all about, that you'll be transformed in this life and in the next. He should know that. And if he doesn't, and he's saying we've got to get rid of the cross and, and the tongues of flame because they're problematic for him, well, then where are we going? Where are we going? Where's the secular brand going in a world where people define their own truth? Now, look, I'm not, I'm not trying to be all gloom and doom. I'm just trying to say, if you're thinking about your brand, you have to come to terms with the fact that you are dealing with a population that does not have shared values anymore. You're dealing with a population that is really thinking life is all about them. And you're dealing with a population that is creating its own story, creating its own reality, defining its own terms. That's extra challenging. Now, there is a way to cut through all that. And I believe that is by holding on to the truth. I think that's lifting up the truth. We have to find the things that are true, that are real, 
and, and hang our hat on those things. And we have to look at our companies and say, look, if our company is not oriented around the truth, if we are being manipulative, if we are not putting, if we're putting bad product out there that's not good for people, we should take a good hard look at ourselves. What can we do to make our product better? What can we do to make more value? What we, can we do to make our customers' lives better? I think there's room for the morality question and the ethical question within boardrooms and within marketing departments and within uh, R&D and production and so on. I think those are important questions. So I think we should be holding brands accountable. I think we should demand the truth. We should demand the best from them. We should want products and services that are fantastic. And quite frankly, in a free market, those things get sorted out. If it's not a good product, it goes away. But I think using... I think using mascots is going to be tough because you think that the mascot is imbued with certain characteristics, with certain values, with certain traits, but you're going to find more and more that the market just doesn't get it. They're not going to connect the dots or they're going to just decide to see the mascot through the lens that they choose to see it through. And I think you're going to see things like Tony the Tiger and the Toucan for Fruit Loops. And I think you're going to see these go away over time, too. You're going to see these mascots go away because brands are not brave. Brand, you know, big companies with big brands are not known for being brave. You know, everybody applauds Nike right now. Oh, you know, they're so great because they're standing up for what's right. But quite frankly... When you're standing up for something that the news media and, uh, and the majority of the politicians and a lot of the population are on board with, you're not brave. You're putting your finger up to the wind and trying to figure out which way the wind is going. I'm not calling Nike cowards, but I, I, I don't think you're being brave when you're doing the popular thing. Now, there is a segment of society that's unhappy, like we were talking about earlier with where this is all gone. And... Uh, are opting out. It'd be very interesting to see where the NFL ends up and where the NBA ends up financially, some of these sporting franchises, where they end up uh, financially, because the more they embrace politics, people need a break. The reason you want to watch sports is because your life sucks. Let's face it. I mean, it's not true 100%, but people want a little bit of an escape. Why do I get on a motorcycle? Do I get on a motorcycle so I can be propagandized? No, I get on a motorcycle to take a deep breath, feel the wind in my face, just kind of get that speed, that open air, go through some nice turns, you know, like just take it in. I want to get away a little bit. It's a way to escape for an hour to clear my mind. That's why people want to watch sports. They get together with their buddies, have a cold soda pop or two and enjoy a game. Like that's what you want to do. You want to escape a little bit before you got to go to work the next morning. And I think, you know, you're just layering on this propaganda. You're layering on these issues. It's like, I'm going to force you to deal with them. I just think that's going to backfire. And I'd be curious to see how these guys do over time. But that's where we're going with brands. Now, what we're going to do, I'm going to wrap up this show, but I'm going to stay on because I'd like to have some time, some discussion uh, before we do that, because um, I love talking to you guys, but I want to wrap things up for the folks listening at home. Uh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to say real quick, if you are listening after the fact, but you like a live stream, you want to maybe get in on the comments, uh, help us have a little bit of fun, make the community grow and, and, and more vibrant by adding your piece. And you can watch the live stream. You don't even have to comment. You can just kind of observe. You can lurk if you want to. But I do this on YouTube. You can join the live stream. It's usually every Sunday. It's usually around four o'clock, though we're going to experiment with different times. But just go to Mike Gaston Live, Mike Gaston Live on YouTube. Just search for that. You can subscribe. Of course, you can subscribe to my main channel too, which is simply Mike Gaston. 
uh, and love to have you around. But guys, you can catch this podcast everywhere. Fine podcasts are provided. We've been added to uh, Amazon Music lately. So we're on Spotify, Amazon, Google Play, Apple, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, etc. I hope this has been useful to you guys. If you don't know it, I'll tell you right now, I love you all. I love you all. And I hope to catch you in the next episode. Thank you.